0: Hey, everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is take two of episode number 199 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe, where they just did a cool little feature article on cases, and Scott was kind enough to include me. Thank you so much to Scott. Also, thank you to David Benedict for including me in his 30 songs, Mandolin Players Should Know. And then also was included in a, a little video clip that Hayes and uh, Marcel put out, too, from IBMA. So thank you so much to that. That was a pleasant surprise to see this week. Also, thank you to Acoustic Disc. Dog Works Volume 6 is now out. You can also check out the latest episodes of Acoustic Encounters with David Grisman and Danny Barnes, an incredible podcast over there. And again, always be sure to sign up your email. You get a free song every week from Acoustic Disc. They have an incredible label. Um, so Yeah. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, thank you again to the Blue Highway Fest. They gave away uh, 10 tickets, 10 four-day passes. That was really, really cool of them to, uh, to do for mandolins and beer listeners. So I hope everybody who is there at the festival is having themselves a fantastic time. And I'm super excited to announce that I have a signature pick available from Tone Slabs now. I got them at IBMA. They're great. I love them. They're the Darth Tone. They got the uh, Mandolins of Beer logo on the front and my signature on the back, and we modified it. It's kind of like the uh, CJ Lewandowski, uh, the 07, the CJ signature one, but I had them uh, round one corner off or one tip off for more tremolo stuff and then just lessen the sharpness on the other two tips just for a little bit of a, a rounder sound, in my opinion. So I'm excited. I'm going to have them available on the website here soon. So thank you so much to Tone Slabs. That was really an incredible thing to receive from them. And if you want to get yourself a slab of tone, you should go to ToneSlabs.com now. They have all the shapes and sizes that you could ever want, thicknesses, they can put bevels, they can leave the bevels off, they can do speed bevels, they can do it all. Go to ToneSlabs.com, tell them Daniel Patrick sent you. I also want to thank Stringjoy for sending me a big box of strings to give away at IBMA. That was awesome. If you were not able to get them, well, one, you can go to Mandolin Cafe. They're having a contest right now where you can enter to win a set of strings. Or if you want to try them out right now, just go to stringjoy.com. And use the promo code all lowercase beer at checkout and get yourself 10% off all your strings from Stringjoy. I also got to see Dan Gable in person again. Dan Gable is one of the people that... Keeps Peghead Nation going, and with Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music? Who you ask? Who are these incredible instructors that teach this? Well Hubble for Mandolin, Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. That's incredible. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. The best part is join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get yourself your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com. Use the promo code MandolinBeer, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com or download their app at Mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops welcome back to ear trumpet labs ear trumpet labs hand-built microphones from portland oregon their mics are beautifully designed they have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today ellis mandolins handcrafted mandolins designed and built in austin texas i took a copy of the life and work of lloyd allaire lore with me The Roger Siminoff book. Again, calling it a book is is uh, this is way more than a book could ever be. But I took a copy of this with me to IBMA and showed this to some people. CJ Lewandowski wouldn't even look at it because he doesn't want to spoil any of the surprises. He's so excited to get it. And um, I'm going to give you a couple little teasers here real quick, too. We think we know everything about Lloyd Lore, but but do we really? Do you know when and why Lore left Gibson? What his specific assigned duties at Gibson were? And how about this? Since Lore left Gibson in October of 1924, who tested and approved and signed the labels for 26 master model instruments made in November and December of 1924? Well, I'm not going to tell you and spoil anything, but if you go to SimonoffBooks.com right now, you can order yourself a copy. Get it just in time. Get one for you. Get one for a friend for the holidays. It's the perfect gift roger simonoff put his heart and soul into this book and it's obvious from the minute you get it so be sure to head over there right now and get yourself a copy In elderly instruments elderly is your trusted source for new used and vintage fretted and stringed instruments for the experienced to the beginner player their vast selection of mandolins guitars banjos ukuleles and did i say mandolins includes all of the accessories and books to go with them all instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help They're in their 50th year. They're family-owned and operated, actually 51st year. And they ship worldwide. You can visit them anytime at Elderly.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Isaac. By the way, at the end of this episode with Isaac, Michael Pruitt, the current mandolin player in Special Consensus, has a solo album coming out early next year. And the first single comes out next week. However, he sent a copy of it to me to debut on this episode. So at the very end of this episode, stick around to hear Michael Pruitt play his tune, Nine Miles Out of Louisville. It's incredible. Speaking of incredible, Isaac Iker. he's going to be working on a brand new album. He's my guest this week. He's a return guest. I was excited to talk to him. He's got some incredible stuff going on right now. He just started a Kickstarter for an album he's going to talk about and gave me a couple little samples. Uh, he drops the name of an incredible person that's going to be performing on this album. Um, it's, an, it, it's a pretty big name in this style of music for sure. Uh, and that's exciting. And he's also got the... Uh, The mandolin retreat that's taking place in Mexico that he talks about as well. And um, I love his enthusiasm. He's a great guy. He's an incredible player. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode. So let's get into this episode here with Isaac. Cheers, everybody. Man, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Isaac Eicher. Isaac, how's it going?
1: Daniel, it's going great. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I appreciate your support, you know, what you do for all mandolinists, everybody you bring on your podcast and the mandolin community. Um, But I'm glad to be talking with you today, man.
0: I'm glad to be talking to you, and and you're actually on vacation, so I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your out of your week of vacation here to uh, talk about this. It's this is great. We, we we last talked. I'm looking at it right now. It was May 5th of 2020. The episode aired, episode number 40. This is going to be episode number 199. It's crazy to think it's been that long. <laughs>
1: That's amazing that you've had uh, you know that many episodes in the past three years. I mean,
0: you know, it seems like the
1: podcast the podcast has been doing well,
0: yeah. it's been it's been it's been a game changer, like a it's really amazing the the fact that I get to talk to people you know that like you, like a bunch of my favorite mandolin players about this stuff. But even more important to me, I think, is the fact of like you know, the reason why you and I are talking a second time, and this is like kind of like the dream of the podcast is next to like the Mandolin Cafe, my favorite website, and I'd like to add there is um. there's not a whole lot of places for Mandolin players to really, to talk about new releases or projects they have coming up. You know, it's such a nichey thing. And, and so my dream was that it would be, it would go long enough so I could talk to people multiple times. So when they have something new going on, they could come on the podcast and talk about it, which works out great because you've got a couple new things going on since we've, uh, since we last talked.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I totally recognize that, you know, the importance of your podcast, like I said, for the mandolin community, the growing community, because so many people listen to podcasts and the more, more people that pick up the mandolin or, you know, make that connection that they can like continue to listen to people talk about mandolin when they're driving and like stay inspired. It's really, you know, an important, um, you know, means of communication. I do have several new projects and, Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that, like you were saying about your podcast, just being kind of like tapped into what's going on, you know, helping people promote. I mean, that's why I feel so thankful that I can just, you know, promote my stuff because the more people I can reach, I mean, that's kind of the name of the game at this point, you know. But just I've been continuing to be creative and looking for outlets of like, how do I want to express myself like this year or just this period of my life? You know, the past three years, since we talked last, I've been doing a lot of, you know, always, always continuing to be creative and like write tunes as they come to me and kind of collect ideas. But I've been doing so much teaching and developing instructional material. Like on my website, I do have um, basically self-produced instructional material based off what I think that people, like what I enjoy teaching and what I think people kind of come to me to learn, like jazz chords or like fluency on the fingerboard and shifting positions. And some of my more recent uh, things are about technique, like uh, right-hand technique and basically improvisational concepts. Like I have a, a course I call Improv 101, and then I just recently, the most recent one I did is about Cuban music. And so that's all stuff on my website that, you know, you can find previews on YouTube. I've been trying to grow my YouTube channel as well. But, you know, thing, you know, just having, I, I tried to start building up a catalog of instructional videos where people can refer to my website. And that way, I mean, it serves several purposes because when I was, you know, started developing or just teaching so much more. And the pandemic really kind of helped push me in that direction a little bit. I was already teaching, but I end up teaching the same stuff kind of over and over because a lot of people, they'll come to me and say like, Oh, I, I want to work on right-hand technique or this and that, like kind of the same themes or the same concepts keep coming up. So in kind of to help me, uh, have a little bit of of like a break, uh, so I don't have to just teach the same thing over and over. It helps me to develop these instructional videos where it's recorded. You know, the lesson is all edited. It's all laid out. So it's a good, it's good content, arguably more concise and like more thorough than what somebody gets in a lesson. If it's just kind of off the cuff talking about a concept, but then they can also pause it. They can rewind it. They can watch, you know, and listen and th- all of those things like on repeat if they wanted to. So that project has been going on for the past couple of years. And I feel like I've finally gotten to a place like right now, I'm not really working on any more instructional stuff because I've been working on the, a new album, you know, so, and just, and also the mandolin camp.
0: So let's start with the, the album first. You just came out with a Kickstarter for it here um, last week, I believe, was it?
1: I did. So the Kickstarter has been going on a little more than a week, um, like eight days now. And we're off to a a slow start. I mean, honestly, I have to tell you, I mean, my relationship with like, my opinion or what I think about Kickstarter, this is new for me, you know, this is the first time I've done a Kickstarter. And I remember when Kickstarter and like GoFundMe or Indiegogo, these different platforms came along, uh, really, like, you know, like Kickstarter is really well known for that, for art projects, uh, music projects and albums. And I always thought like at the beginning, I always kind of thought that Kickstarter was for people that like, I don't know, like it made, made me feel like, oh, they're, they're not as successful because they like they need to ask for people's support to make an album and over the years my opinion has changed on that because i just see so many people that i look up to that do kickstarters to do an album and i just realized after talking to some people that it's more about it's kind of a way to develop some momentum and uh basically some awareness about a project that you're doing so right now i'm promoting my my new jazz mandolin album but the cool thing is is like people that have been following me like you know my instructional stuff or the youtube channel or just people who like my first album they can help me out by simply pre-ordering you know a digital copy of this album the new one or uh a physical cd or and then within the contribution options the the rewards i also have workshops that I'm going to offer and private lessons. Uh, and so for me, it's like, you know, doing a Kickstarter. Yeah, I, I'm really, I have high hopes. I mean, it's expensive to record music. And I just decided to go this route just to try, you know, if the Kickstarter doesn't work out, I'm not going to feel bad about it because I know I am, I did it. I mean, that that's just putting yourself out there is a big part of it. You know, and I'm going to feel satisfied either way if if I make my goal or not. Um, but I'm so passionate about the music. I mean, it's been five years since I did my first album. And that's why I feel so ready. I've been developing these original songs and just kind of my voice on what I'm doing with jazz and acoustic jazz and also with my electric mandola. I am ready to capture some music, you know, things that are exciting me, that, I don't think have really been done this way on the mandolin Uh, and it's just part of the process. I mean, I realized a couple of years ago, I saw people that I respect, you know, putting out more albums and I thought, man, I had so much fun when I did my album, my first album, five years ago. That is the kind of career that I want to have or the type, what I want to do with music, taking original music to the studio, working it up with your friends, Uh, fellow musicians and then going to record it is so much fun I want to do that again you know regardless of like how successful my first album was I knew that at some point I want to do another album and that's part of the process because then that's gonna you know be there in over time and and more people can discover it but for me it's just part of my the like the journey the career I want to have with playing mandolin is I want to be recording my music and getting it out there you know.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's because you're a talented musician. And again, like with all these things, it's so hard for musicians any longer. It really does blow my mind as a person myself who's in the midst of just about finishing uh, an album project. Uh, I I know I'm never going to recoup what I put into it, you know, but that's just that's not why I'm doing the recording. I want yeah. to do the recording because this is something I was so excited about and I wanted to put something out there to document this idea, but I don't think a lot of people maybe realize it's so easy, you know, to listen to Spotify. And again, I have Spotify, I have iTunes, I have all those things, but also buy a lot of stuff. If I find somebody, especially like a, a, a independent artist, I'll just buy it. Even if I don't ever put it in my computer, cause I can listen to it on a streaming thing as well. But right. th- th- there's... To recoup the amount of money now that you would be able to get back, I mean, it's it's pretty impossible. And Kickstarter, I think, also helps you gauge. Well, how many CDs do you get made anymore? You know, like, you know, do I get a thousand made? Do I get a hundred made? What does well Kickstarter kind of pre-sales it at least gives you an idea of like, whoo, I'm not wasting, you know a thousand extra dollars on coasters that might you know sit in my garage you know it's it's tough now that's to figure it out so no i think it's i, I i'm i applaud you for putting it out there
1: well thank you man everything you're saying resonates with me cuz like going through this process again to do another album i've rethought some things i thought i was going to do differently for instance my approach to the first album was which now is I'm having a similar approach because I realized that's just the way I want, I like to do it. But I thought, so on the first album, you know, like we worked up the music, I reserved a couple days of studio time and we just went in and we like, you know, had worked on the songs enough where we just went in and recorded and okay, we didn't like that. Take, let's do another one. I thought for this album, my next project, I wanted to do it more homegrown and kind of, cause I've been recording so many, little demos and like YouTube videos with, you know, with like a professional microphone and things in my home studio, I thought that I could piece together an album, just track by track and then, okay, now I'll have a guitar player come over and play rhythm on this. And then, you know, just wherever I need it, just kind of over time, build up an album. And I just realized that there's so, I mean, that's some people can do that, but for my lifestyle, basically for me and my wife, currently we have two small kids. Um, we just had a baby a year ago. So we have a four-year-old and now we have a one-year-old. Our son just turned one, but it's kind of chaotic at our house. (laughs) Do some kind of recording project. Typically I have to time it out where, uh, you know, daughter goes to school, she's in pre-K now, or, you know, my wife can help me by taking my baby elsewhere. And I always have to like play that, game that strategy it's like very hectic and stressful to do like the youtube videos and all that stuff and i realized so there's and there's so that's you know very difficult it's better to just carve out like a couple days and say okay i know i'm going to record the album this week or like you know these couple days in the studio but also i wanted to really just leave the recording in the hands of the professionals which that is a big part of what costs money record an album but i know the quality is going to be so nice i mean i was very happy with the quality of my first album i feel like if i could just do that you know release a similarly adequate product i mean i have opinions about like musically i feel like i want to go in a different direction and I've, i've changed so much as a musician but i do like what i did with the first album the process of you know just record it, you know, booking the studio time, letting the engineer be doing their job because they're going to be professional and it's going to be professional quality. You know, what you were saying about like Spotify and all those things I've had, I've been debating like how many CDs I should, I, I didn't think I was going to print any CDs this time around, but, cause I just thought that, yeah, nobody uses CDs anymore. Um, but I've talked to several people and they said, no, you need to have some CDs because some, some people will want it. And it's important for promotional purposes, sending your CD to like radio stations or different organizations. So I'm taking that advice. I am going to print a limited amount of CDs. But also as part of the Kickstarter, I've already seen like a handful of people who have, uh, you know, contributed for that tier reward where they, they wanted a signed copy of the CD. But I don't really anticipate a ton of people ordering cds um i also in previous years i've always used spotify recently i stopped paying for it just because it kind of worked out then i was tired of paying for it and (laughs) and it i was asked to renew my subscription and I thought, no, I'm going to leave it. I'm, I'm just going to deal with like ads and stuff. Uh, and so I'll still use Spotify here and there, uh, just not paying for it. But I have so many like mixed feelings about that because, uh, for us musicians, you know, we need platforms like that for the exposure. You know, I feel like if you're not putting your music on, like if it's Apple music or Spotify or Tidal, you know, how are people going to discover you? So I've been thinking, yeah, I probably will end up putting my, my music on streaming services. But like you were saying, a lot of people will stream because of the convenience, but they also spend the money on you know, paying the artist for a CD or an album, a digital copy or whatever uh, to support them. And, you know, so there's many ways to go about it. But I'm excited about the Kickstarter campaign because the music, like I was, you know, you said that you were so passionate to your project. Um, that's really what it's about. I mean, this music. I feel like I've not. I'm influent, influenced by some of my favorite players, but I just feel like this is a unique project for, and especially for jazz on the mandolin. I just don't think that it's gone this direction yet for mandolin you know, jazz and the mandolin world.
0: Well, and you also have a very interesting, the way you approach it and your influences are very unique. Your take is so different. You, I, I, like when you take breaks, I never know where they're going to go, which is so exciting to me mm. because it's like, I don't think that way. <laughs> I wish I did, you know, so it helps me. But so you have kind of two concepts too.
1: So there are two big concepts I would say there's like a lot of little subgenres that I wanted to include but I ultimately ended up the 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 styles of music that I love most I mean at one point I even thought should I just do a project like that's all gypsy jazz music and then I thought well I don't know I mean maybe I could you know a couple years or something I'd be because I love gypsy jazz and I do a lot of gypsy jazz gigs um, pretty much every week uh, I and i've really over the years just continued to learn more repertoire and just kind of even just getting so much more familiar with what i can do like my bag of tricks developing my vocabulary but also like the whole time that i've been doing that i've also been very uh interested in and exploring latin music and latin jazz and it's kind of interesting how this worked out or how it came about on this project. I mean, just following my taste and my writing and, you know, original ideas, I thought I was going to have a little bit more kind of Cuban music influence, which I think there is that type of influence more aesthetically. Uh, but the la- as far as like Latin music goes, the other big genre of Latin music or Latin jazz. That I love is Brazilian music, specifically Samba, Baiao. I mean, I like Bossa Nova too, but like one of my favorite mandolin players, he's like everybody's favorite mandolin player, Hamilton Giolanda.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, yeah.
1: he's, he's huge influence on me. I mean, I've loved his playing for a long time, but to me, I'm just thinking about like jazz, to me, I don't think about jazz, bebop, or just classic jazz or standards i mean there's so many sub genres of jazz and latin music like latin jazz you know in quotations is a big part of that and but to me personally where my tastes i you know have been growing just and i love brazilian samba so i have several compositions that kind of have developed over the last couple of years. I mean, there's one idea that's really been there since for probably four or five years, but it sat there. And then over, you know, a couple of years ago, then I really developed like a B part and a C part, you know what I mean? So some of these ideas can be kind of hanging out for a while, but the majority of the, there's five original songs on this project. And the majority of them have happened like in the last two years. And that's when I really decided to get serious about, uh, pursuing ideas and chasing them down. That's kind of my writing style. It's like, I rarely can come up with a tune in a day. What I do is I'll come up with like uh cool, some cool chords or something. And I'm like, man, I like this, but I don't know how to use it in a song. And I'll record a voice memo or I'll, you know, some small part. And then I'll just come back to it and then kind of let that idea grow. Uh, like one of the compositions I'm super excited about was this uh, Samba. So it's, to to describe the different concepts or the ensembles that are on this project. So there's really the Latin jazz that's kind of Brazilian inspired. And then there's gypsy jazz group, uh, like a quartet where we're going to do gypsy jazz, but it's still got a little bit of Latin influence. To me, it's crazy that there's these two worlds, like the type of, I don't know, Latin music or the type of gypsy jazz that I listen to those different genres that seemingly are far apart to me they're so similar uh especially there's even some rhythms that they do in gypsy jazz that i mean you could just so easily like be calling it like oh this is like, a latin rhythm and having the different orientation like you could have percussion with it or uh so and just like the acoustic guitar is also you know popular all around the world but it's very important there's like so many um just shared kind of common uh aspects to what the acoustic guitar does in gypsy jazz music and what the acoustic guitar does in like Brazil or Argentina or Colombia just or wherever in Latin America too so with those two big influences i decided to instead of doing like a whole project that's just gypsy jazz and then a whole project that's just latin jazz I'm just doing a mix of all these different things. So on four songs, I've got electric bass and drums, and myself either on acoustic mandolin or electric mandolin. The interesting thing there is like there's so much overlap like one of the songs that we're doing on with that ensemble right like kind of the latin jazz trio that we're doing a bobby reinhardt song that i discovered pretty recently that um which bobby reinhardt is django reinhardt's son and then his then bobby's son uh david reinhardt he released this really cool version of his dad's song, Bobby song, uh, on, uh, on YouTube recently, about a couple months ago. And we're going to do a different like rhythm, a different version of that tune, kind of a, a gypsy jazz classic tune. Uh, then we're doing a handful of my originals with that group. And then with the other group, the kind of gypsy jazz group, we're doing some standards that I, that, they're, like my arrangements of some standards, some old tunes. Um, we're doing a tune called Whispering, which is like an old swing song that I love to play. I love the melody. And so it's imagine like a swing song, but we're gonna do this like gypsy jazz kind of rhythm that's really almost kind of like a Latin, almost like a Brazilian Bial rhythm. And that's with the acoustic quartet. And so that's Eli Bishop is gonna be on violin and Rory Hoffman is playing guitar and our buddy Alec Noonan is playing bass. And I know I've got a clip to share with you because we've played with that group at Rudy's Jazz Room several times in Nashville. So that group, we're also doing a handful of other standards. Like some of my favorites are in a sentimental mood, which is a Duke Ellington tune, and then we're going to do a really fun version of Upper Manhattan Medical Group, which is a Billy Strayhorn song, like a swing standard. But I don't know if it's really ever been recorded on the mandolin or in a kind of a gypsy jazz like quartet vibe. So. Uh, there's a good mix of all these different things, you know, on the project. And then there's a couple, so those are the two main groups, uh, the two like main ensembles, but then there are a couple tracks that really fit in with the vibes, but that's just kind of um, completely different, you know, uh, personnel. Like my wife is going to sing a song, Marcella Pinilla. She sang a song on my first album and I, that's how we met. I joined her band and we, you know, we're playing together And then we ended up dating and, you know, the rest is history. Uh, So uh, an original song that we uh, have written, really inspired by our daughter, because our daughter is so musical. is always dancing and singing. And and then I have another track, which I – this is actually – I'm going to be breaking some news right now. So I've not told anybody, but I'm very happy to share with your audience and, you know, people who are following my Kickstarter. So this track that I – think on my promotion i was um in the kickstarter video i i don't know if it made it into the final edit but i was like oh and there's one more track with a sp- some special guests but i'm going to keep that a secret so really the the cool track that's like a like i said it's kind of a different it's not the same ensembles but it's uh you know got a couple different special guys playing on this track an original tune of mine i'm actually ha- going to have victor wooten play bass and A a buddy of mine who plays uh, percussion and drums, his name's John Arrucci, and he's played with a million people, just super talented. Uh, So those guys are going to help do this track with me that's going to have acoustic mandolin and electric mandola. So I'll be playing two instruments on that thing.
0: That is awesome.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I've been planning some of these these tracks for quite a while like about two years ago i told myself okay this year it was like around new years like at the beginning beginning of 2022 i told myself okay you know i really want to record another album and i had a couple a handful of the ideas and i and i said okay yeah i'm gonna really start working on it well 2022 went by so fast that was the year that our son was born so my wife was pregnant that whole year and then again, at the very beginning of this year, like New Year's, the beginning of this year, I told myself, no, nah, this is the year. I I for sure have to do it. And when you say it, it's like it's happening. You know what I mean? You start saying it loud. You start telling people about it. I've been having, you know, have my notebook with my ideas and stuff that I've been going, uh, revising things and song ideas and stuff for a couple of years now. And it's to me, it's so exciting to just finally get to follow through with it and and record.
0: Man, congratulations. I can't wait to hear the album. Victor Wooten, that's huge.
1: Yes, well, we know him. I mean, my wife has been friends with him uh, for longer than I've known him. And really when I moved to Nashville, I met him through a couple people um, through Forest. Uh, We went out to his his property where he does the Wooten Woods uh, camps, like nature and music camps. And so that's really the first time I met him. And then, uh, so my wife has recorded with him and worked with him previously before I met her. And so there was a connection there. And he's, I mean, he's a good friend, uh, you know, really good friend of my wife. And like now he's, I can say that he's a really good friend of ours, you know, of my friend too. Uh, And so over the years, since I've been living here, I've played with him a, a number of times and just finally just, you know, Along with the theme of just going for it and going for your dreams and doing it, trying to make it happen. I mean, I, I had this composition I showed him. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this album. Would you be interested in playing? And he said yes. So so we're recording next month. Uh, we decided on uh, the week before Thanksgiving for recording. And we're actually recording the album at Compass Records which is, you know, a popular um, recording label uh, in in our music scene, I would say in the acoustic world, right, in the bluegrass world. But I'm not on their label. I just, from knowing them, I've recorded at that studio a couple times, and I like the studio a lot. And the main engineer who works for them, this guy Matt Coles, who has, um, you know, so if you, if people who follow uh, different groups that record under Compass Records, it's most likely Matt, who's been doing the engineering, the, the lead engineer on that stuff. I like their studio, and it just seems like a good space. So we're, that's where we're, we're going to be doing the recording. And we're looking to, you know, I want to release the album next year in the spring, so maybe April or May, depending on kind of how things kind of go between now and then
0: when you when you're studying gypsy jazz i i always like to ask this because a lot of people i mean a lot of people when i i guess when i think gypsy jazz i'm thinking django and uh grappelli um but if you're listening to that what what version of the song do you try to work out like do you try to work the uh the violin part Do you try to work all the django part do you do a combination of the two
1: so a combination of the two when i was growing up i mean i've I have kind of a similar relationship to Django Reinhardt as I do to like Bill Monroe or other, like, you know, the grandfathers or the Godfathers, these creators of these genres of music that we've loved so much. Like I, I haven't, I I don't go back and like listen to Django Reinhardt all the time. You know, I've heard him like enough in the past. And I am really keen on what modern uh, interpretations are because there's so many guys that in, you know, in the modern era that they play a lot of the same licks, but it's like a different. It, you know where it's coming from, but it's definitely a modern take on things. And like, my learning style, I always tell people I didn't really. I transcribed. Some when I was coming up, like when I was a teenager, I transcribed a hand over the years. There was a handful of Chris Thiele things that I transcribed because you're just like, oh my god, I love this so much. I got to figure out what's what he's doing. But a lot of the times, I'm just listening. I was just listening and identifying things that I liked. And then if there's like a lick here and there that I really liked, then I would try to pinpoint that and learn that, and then I could have that in my bag of tricks, like you know uh, my vocabulary and be able to use that but largely i did not learn solos of like how other guys like note for note what they're doing but i also had so a couple other things going on because my dad is a professional musician and he you know he plays violin violin is his main instrument and um as well as mandolin and he plays guitar as well but and so when i was born he was playing country music with roy clark and then when he got off the road probably when i was you know six or seven probably six and he was well versed in other styles of music too i mean he grew up playing bluegrass through all those years playing with Roy, he he was learning jazz and playing the occasional jazz gigs and stuff and he plays blues really well. He plays Western swing really well. I mean, my dad's an incredible musician. So my opportunity to learn from him, it's just there's nothing else like that. I mean, my the exposure to music since before I even started playing was just all the time going to shows and concerts and stuff. The same with my mom because my mom's a singer. And she I heard her doing a lot of jazz when I was a kid, too, because my mom sings a lot of jazz standards and she does that type of work, you know uh similar to my dad but so like growing up in that household where you are already exposed to a ton of music I started playing piano when I was six not transcribing or like or listening to any cool stuff I mean like I would listen here like Oscar Peterson who's one of my favorite players these days but I wasn't like pursuing jazz on piano then when mandolin came around for me I was almost 10 years old and so when I really Started just going headfirst in the mandolin, loving it so much. The whole time I was reading music and like learning tunes by reading, but always using my ears and bouncing ideas, jamming with my dad, and he guided me so much of like how to make these sounds, right? And we we that's where my first kind of uh, initiation or you know jumping off point with gypsy jazz and jazz and all these styles. Uh, I inherited from my dad and he would show me like, this is how you make this sound. If it's like a diminished chord sound. Uh, I mean, he showed me like all the jazz chords that, you know, the shapes that he used. And my dad is a great writer too. He has, he has great original music, um, which we recorded a couple albums together um, back in the day. Uh, For instance, the Iker's, which is dance of the gypsies, which is an album that has uh, nearly all of his originals on it. And, So like to answer your question, like I had a lot of influence from a violin mandolin player, my dad. And also just over the years, listening like guitar is one is probably my favorite instrument, apart from mandolin. Like I I (laughs) like that's my voice, that's my connection, like my the physical playing, you know, my relationship with like expressing myself musically is with the mandolin. But guitar is probably the instrument that i've listened to most and have absorbed the most jazz language bebop language gypsy jazz stuff so these days like when i'm listening to guys like if it's like rocky Grasse or adrian moniar if you haven't checked out these anybody who's hearing me say this for the first time and you haven't listened to them play you need to check them out uh or stokolo rosenberg uh from the rosenberg trio Borelli Legren, another favorite, Sylvain Luke, not really gypsy jazz, but a French guitar player who has recorded a couple albums with Borelli. So just listening to them and like actively playing and using your ears and trying to, like when you start really identifying the like chord tones that are making sounds that are then things you like. So is it transcription? It's kind of this gray area of like, am I really, I'm not really transcribing this thing that I love and I'm listening to, but I'm very uh, dialed in. on like, okay, what is that? Okay. I hear that. So I like, I'm kind of doing some of that work that comes along with transcribing something, but I mean, not always, a lot of times I'm just listening and enjoying, but most often I'm, you know, there's, there's some analysis that goes into what I'm hearing, like, Ooh, I hear that sounds like an augmented thing. And sometimes I will try to like copy kind of the essence of what that lick is, but so much of it is just listening and rhythmically both, both areas harmonically trying to grow like my understanding of the scales that I'm using to get those sounds and playing through chord changes Uh, and listening to whatever instruments do that you know it could be like saxophone or piano as well with like gypsy jazz that's got this other little kind of idiomatic you know um, it's like its own jazz language a subgenre of jazz language kind of intertwined with bebop and there's certain stylistic things that come along with that that if you start listening to a lot of gypsy jazz you start to to identify what those things are that kind of make it sound that way. To me, it's the, the feel, the, like when you're picking or if you're playing rhythm either way, like the groove of it that I love so much. I mean, it's the jazz vocabulary, the fiery, you know, virtuosic like jazz bebop lines. I love all that stuff, but the groove of, of it to me, that, that, has grown over time for me like my appreciation and just like enjoying uh hearing guys like really groove even if it's when you're playing like solo lead lines how you're fitting in with the groove and accentuating it uh is just so amazing you know
0: yeah i love slowing um i went through a big phase of gypsy jazz stuff a few years ago and well i i do not even remotely list myself as a gypsy jazz player. I worked on quite a few things and I just remember slowing down some of those Grappelli solos that were blazingly fast. And when you slow them down, you really hear the swing in the playing. So it's not just fast um you know mechanical licks there's some in, some serious feel and when you slow it down you're like oh my gosh that's why this sounds so unique is because he's even as fast as he's playing he's still got this swing in the notes in the in the phrasing it's amazing
1: for sure I mean the swing aspects to me I like I'm just it's reminding me of like kind of like how I kind of came in my discovering of like just getting better at playing the style of music over time. Cause I remember when I was a teenager and I could play, like I was still dabbling in a lot of these jazz ideas, but I didn't have the feel for it. Like I didn't, wasn't really swing. I couldn't really sing very well. Cause I'm coming from like a very straight, straight eight kind of bluegrass kicking vibe. My technique and like the repertoire and all that stuff. And so even if you learn a couple of jazz standards, you're not really immersed in it. It, to me, it took longer and I just more and more just kept realizing and, and coming to terms with like what, and feeling it, you know, and that developing like a, a sense of that swing. If even on like really slow things, the it's funny because on really fast things, I feel like you can get away with, yeah, maybe you're, you're not swinging as much. There's not as a deep, as deep of a pocket to swing in, you know? but all of the tempos yeah it's still got that stylistic groove if it's jazz or bebop or gypsy jazz you know swing that's a big part of it
0: how did you find for you you know coming from a straight eighth background which i think a lot of people probably listening to this um come back how did you develop the swing what was something that you worked on technique wise to help you get a little bit more of that feel in your playing
1: To be honest, I don't know of an exercise that I can tell somebody to,
0: you know, okay, sit down and work
1: on this scale and like play it this way. And that's where you're going to develop the swing. I think that over time, I kind of started to just using my ears. That's, that's really what the name of the game is. It's like, cause some people like they listen to things kind of passively or they like, I don't know. There's different ways to interpret when you say like, use your ears or, you know, do you have good ears or to me, it's a, like having this really honed awareness and just like when you're listening to something, identifying what it is that's making it sound different than, or sound special or sound right or sound good. You know what I mean? And so for me, playing like enjoying playing bebop and gypsy jazz that's the spark at the beginning it's like oh i'm getting my feet wet i'm really enjoying this but then as you kind of like you got to look back at your playing you have to maybe maybe record yourself maybe uh if it's like a very you know casual like video these days you can do that with your phone like a vo- voice memo or something so easily if you listen to yourself as well listen back to what you do you can just hear it's like more objectively is like is that am i doing it or because it feels different when i'm playing it and i think that for me over time really connecting this whatever that space is that between that subjective like oh i'm enjoying it while i'm playing it but am i doing a good job i'm still trying to close that gap um to where i know more objectively like the what the performance is going to be like like what how i'm playing how that's going to come come across to somebody else who's listening uh but as far as like developing swing i kind of got away from it's been a process but i kind of got away from the strict down up down up picking technique that i've preached so much i mean because that's typically (laughs) when somebody comes to me and they like want to know how to play like better right-hand technique, I always try to get them started on the same path that I got started on, which was basically from like the Chris Thiele of uh, school of thought, you know, which he on his instructional material really laid it out there, you know, playing with like proper like emphasis on the downstroke when on the front of the beats and alternating pick strokes. But the thing is in jazz and what helps so much with swing, there's so much more emphasis on you're, you're not really trying to have like a equal use of down and up strokes, even if there you're hitting on a beat that is on the and, like on the second half, like in the eighth note pair, then a lot of times you, I mean, you can just, if it's slow enough and you can use down strokes comfortably, then you should probably just be doing downstrokes because that is where that swing groove to me is like so much easier. I think coming to terms with that over time that, you know, not even really aware of it, just kind of slowly adapting, going for that sound. And then my playing kind of adapted and helped me get better at at achieving that sound. Does that make sense? Totally.
0: Yeah, that's and, and and for people, this is a a good segue, by the way, too, because for people who are interested in hearing this and going, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's it, there is that. It, it's so weird to say, but there is that combination of of bluegrass and swing. Like a lot of bluegrass players are interested in swing or jazzy, swingy, jazzy stuff. Or and um, you also have this camp coming up on top of. On top of the the lessons that you have on your website, let's talk a little bit more about this camp that you have coming up because I think this is pretty cool and it's in a pretty sweet location.
1: You bet, yeah. So the Mexico Mandolin Retreat is happening in February, February twenty first to twenty fifth. And to me, I'm I mean I'm so excited about this project. It just kind of brings in all these different uh, aspects of my life. If it's like music and Spanish and traveling and it brings it all together in one project. And there's a couple like, I mean, for people who are going, we have 12 people who are going so far and there's still space for other people. You can find the information on my website. Um, So I've been learning Spanish and speaking Spanish for about 15 years, but I've been to Mexico five times since 2017 really it was in 2017 and 2018 i went to mexico again five times as part of this project that was really a a similar kind of like uh, overlap or coming together of these you know the music and language skills which was that i was working for this guy named doug who took several bluegrass bands down to this place in mexico really to put on like a concert, a little festival in the town uh, that's right by where we're going, by Lake Pascuardo And by going down there and meeting people and becoming friends with the people who own this lodge on Lake Pascuardo that's where this story kind of comes from, you know? So it's like having the background of knowing Spanish, speaking Spanish, in addition to music, afforded me this like really cool opportunity to go down there with some bluegrass bands and meet like the owners of this beautiful lodge, which is the, I, I knew then it's the perfect place to do a retreat, like a music retreat, a mandolin camp. Um, and I love doing mandolin camps. Over the years, I've been fortunate to kind of, that's where I wanted to, the direction I wanted to go with my career is just do more mandolin camps. Cause I like it so much. And so This idea has been brewing for a couple of years. I mean, honestly, I was talking to the owners of the lodge that's at Lake Pottsguardo a couple years ago, like two years ago, we were having the conversation and this was during COVID, which was also, it's like, Oh, well, we'll see when COVID lets up. And then, you know, we, our family was growing and we were having another baby, but now it's like, we, I came back around to that idea again. And, I was really inspired earlier this year. This is kind of like when it really came to a point where it's like, no, we can do this. Let's let's go for it. I was teaching at the Nashville Mandolin Camp. And the gal who runs that, Megan, um I'm sure some of your listeners have been to that camp. It's a, she does a great job. Uh and she does that out of her home outside of Nashville. So I saw this kind of format and this just, you know, a mandolin camp come together at Megan's house and just kind of seeing how and thinking more about the logistics and like, well, what's necessary. How do you put on a mandolin camp, or how do you do this? And she's got a nice setup. And I just, you know, if you really think about it, you need a really good space. The space is like key, you know, you have to have a, uh, a place to, you can get people together and where they can stay. Maybe it just depends like what the scenario is and then food. Right. So lodging and, meals the lodge where i know these people in mexico so they also have like a staff cook uh she works with their family but when they bring in big groups to stay at the lodge they will bring in as well another cook so there'll be a handful of cooks and they can do meals that's that's what we're going to be doing at our camp the mexico mandolin retreat they're all the meals are going to be cooked on site and so Myself and Forrest O'Connor, which you had on your podcast recently, he's a good friend of mine that I had mentioned earlier, but he is coming down. This is the first time we're doing the first annual Mexico Mandolin retreat. So I wanted to bring him on board as well because I don't want it to just be, I think it helps for a couple of reasons, having someone else teaching Mandolin because the, the group dynamic, the energy that it takes to be entertaining people Um, And also just to have more variety, more offering more, like, okay, now you get to learn from another professional mandolin player too. And the cool thing that we're offering in addition to just being such a beautiful camp, like a beautiful space, you know, in the wilderness, essentially in rural Mexico and having great food uh, apart from the mandolin instruction, we're also offering Spanish classes. So my wife is going and we are, in, in addition to myself, like we're going to be helping people with Spanish the whole time because it's so relevant, obviously, to where we're going to be in Mexico. But to me, like language and culture and food and music, having some kind of event or a concept that has all of those things is so exciting. It's, it's just so much fun,
0: you know? And I'm looking at the pictures of the place right now and it is gorgeous. <laughs> that's unbelievable the looking. Lake,
1: the lake is in between these volcanic mountains. And a couple things about that area which like I I went there and then started discovering things, learning things about this area in Michoacan, that's the state. And we fly into Morelia, which is the capital and then it's about an hour and 20 minutes uh we're going to shuttle people over to the the town where we're doing the retreat. But so it's just like full the biodiversity, the plant life is so gorgeous. Like the the climate that they have that they're in the mountains. They don't have the same type of climate that we have here, where it's like four seasons, and they have kind of a rainy season and a dry season. And it's in the mountains, kind of mountain weather. Like it gets chilly at night, but in the daytime it can get hot. Um, And it's lime trees, avocado trees, like all this indigenous, you know, native growing, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables and stuff. And but also that's where uh, monarch butterflies and hummingbirds migrate every year, like up there in those mountains. So the biodiversity is really cool.
0: That's um, Charleston, South Carolina is on is the route for the monarchs that they fly to go there yeah it's crazy like the last month has been just thousands of monarch butterflies they they go through it's amazing to watch and that yeah that's where they go to how wild
1: yeah i mean the biodiversity it's like such a gorgeous place that not a lot of people know about that's the cool thing is like it's almost ser. it's like serendipitous like how everything has come together in this path that's led me not only just like knowing having like these, the background of like playing music and speaking Spanish to be able to do something like that, to even have like a basis for putting on like a retreat or camp to teach people that stuff. But also the path that, you know, we've been on, my wife included, like we've been down to this place, discovered this gorgeous place in Mexico. I feel like that the, the place is, you know, it's like for some people, it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's very magical and like how it's all worked out. To me, it's the perfect place to do a mandolin retreat, but also a mandolin retreat kind of like if I didn't speak Spanish and feel comfortable with that, having traveled so much like in Latin America and Spain and um, like it, there would have to be some kind of like cultural liaison or connection to like want to go there or like have the way the means to communicate with the people that are there. And for me, yeah, that kind of this serendipitous and magical combination of things the, and the things that it, this journey I've been on and to know about this place is just, it's going to be an amazing time. It's like the perfect combination of all these uh, aspects of my life that. Um, and so, I mean, I was telling you like how much I love doing mandolin camps to me being able to run it and kind of like the, so the programming of like what's being offered at the camp, but also just creating that space, that opportunity for people to have like a r- retreat vacation where they could also bring their mandolins and nerd out on mandolin stuff. And like, we're going to be showing them so many new things that they, you know, haven't Th- there's something about when you, tr- when you're traveling I've found, and also kind of goes along with the lines of learning a language like Spanish for me. I always have my mandolin with me all these places. Like the first time I went to Mexico or the, you know, all these different trips, I, I pretty much always have my mandolin and the memories that are created that they just go hand in hand. Cause if you, if you literally are just like in a foreign country kind of immersing yourself in this environment, but you're playing music with you the whole, like you're playing your music, you have your mandolin with you the whole time. They're so, intertwined like this experience of like, and then, well, maybe you're learning some music that's you're very inspired by the place that you're in. You know what I mean? That Those two things are influencing each other uh, left and right. Another detail about that place in Mexico that I was going to mention, which I don't even think, I don't know if I put this on my website. So across the lake, cause we're literally going to be staying on the, on the edge of the lake, you know, on the lake. So uh, on the other side of the lake, is a town, which I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'm sure we can Wikipedia this. Uh, It's a small town that they used to model the small town uh, in the Disney Pixar movie, Coco, which is a really cool movie, but like a really, you know, well-known movie where the family lives, like in the beginning of this movie, the town that you see in this animated movie, it's modeled after this town across the lake yeah so it's it's in many ways it's kind of it's picturesque it's typical of like what they're representing in that movie and that movie which is uh, talks a lot about the day of the dead uh in the communities around this lake that is so huge to their culture and like one of the places that we can see on this trip that i've been to a couple times i mean you can see where they have uh like grave graveyards and grave sites that are heavily decorated. Uh, maybe not at the exact time that we, cause I've been in November in years past and that's right after, you know, the day of the dead, November 2nd. So that stuff's still kind of, uh, you can see some remnants, but that celebration is like really big in that area.
0: Santa Oh yeah. Yeah. There is a bunch. Well, it looks beautiful. So, well, man, if anybody wants any more details on this, the best place is your website, I'm assuming, isaacikermusic.com?
1: Correct. Yeah, and there's, all the information should be there. I've had some people come up with some random questions. It's like, oh, I didn't really think about that, um, but registration is still open. Like I said, we have 12 people signed up right now, and I don't really know, when, I mean, there's really room for about 20 people, so there's still a couple, some spaces, but I've Several people inquire about coming to say, Oh, I think I really want to come. And they haven't pulled the trigger yet. So we still technically have like eight or 10 sp- spots available, but we are going to do several mandolin classes a day and rotate between Forrest and myself. And the way I see it is that we're going to break it up between advanced players. Cause we do have several advanced players coming and we, uh, also have quite a few beginner players because to me it's just about the experience everybody's going to learn something you know and i've taught a lot of beginners i mean i've taught advanced as well so we're going to break up the class so the beginners are entertained and not overwhelmed and then where the advanced players also have time to really nerd out and work on you know stuff but in addition to so mandolin classes and spanish classes Uh, We're also going to be taking these day, these like one trip a day to the surrounding towns to just explore the area a little bit and, you know,
0: see what it's all about. That's amazing. And I'm looking at the prices and people go and look at the prices on the website. It's really affordable. (laughs) I thought it was going to be a lot more money than this to do that. Obviously, you got to you got to get your ticket to get there. But I just, you know, randomly looked up tickets from Charleston uh, to the city that you mentioned, and it was also much more affordable than I would have ever expected. So, if you people are interested, they should definitely go to your website and look because I'm I'm honestly um, staggered by how inexpensive it is for what they're gonna get. Yeah, and I'm looking at the food and the lodging. That is it's, it. Yep, yeah. It looks amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my February schedule is what I'm also looking.
1: <laughs> well, man. It's all like the food is so amazing. If you don't know, look, so they do eat spicy food in Mexico. I hate British people that maybe it's not everybody likes spicy food. I love spicy food. So I'm like in heaven and there's all these chilies and peppers, you know, that they, but you don't have to eat spicy, but they like the, dishes that they've prepared prepared for us in the past like we've had mole which is an amazing i love mole which has got like all these spices and um but just from the tortillas like the tortillas are so freshly made uh in soft like corn hot you know warm corn freshly made corn tortillas and all the sauces and things that are you know and they're using veggies that are grown locally. They're not going to like the big supermarket to buy. It's either the small market or like the place around the villages and you know where the the stuff comes from and the quality is so good and they 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 show us so many things from their culture that you know and just as you're spending time around these people and that's what like my my wife and and myself we're going to be helping people, you know, talk to the different people who are around there that we meet because we can interpret for them and I love doing that kind of stuff for instance my mother-in-law right now is staying with us and she's on this trip with us um, from Colombia, and she doesn't speak any english so so often pretty much every day you know it's it's showing her interpreting for her and showing her like oh well this is like how you order this food and this is what this is and showing her new experiences i've done that for different people and i love that experience so to me, going down to Mexico with mandolin students and sh- showing them and, you know, as they're discovering these things and they're loving like this sneak peek into Mexican culture. Uh, it's so, so much fun.
0: Well, man, Isaac, congrats on everything happening since the uh, the last time we talked. This is it's always exciting to talk with you, man. You were a uh, yeah just very inspiring to talk to and to listen to. So I appreciate you taking the time out of a vacation to do this.
1: <laughs> thank thank you for the kind words, man. Absolutely. I, I, I to me, I've gotten to this point like in my life, and I, I think having kids is a big part of it. Uh, where I'm just trying to make this work and like make this make things happen and going for it like if I'm already teaching mandolin and then my dream is like, Oh, I, that'd be so cool to have a camp that where I did this. Well, why not just go for it and just start it and do it? It's cause it's a unique set of abilities that uh, I'm perfectly poised to, to deliver on, you know, to do it. And I feel very fortunate because of the response that we've had so far, because I remember, I mean, God, that all the reservations that you have like this self doubt you know as i started mentioning like to people that I, this is a project i think i want to do soon when i launched it and started having people sign up it's just i mean you know it's mind blowing it, it just warms your heart and it just makes you believe that everything's possible and and similar similarly with this album i know it seems like i have so many things going on this year but but i've basically doubled down on my passion for that and just keep all the time just going deeper and deeper wanting to get better as a musician and those styles of music that I play. So for me, it's like my trajectory moving forward. is like, that's what I'm going for. Just trying to get to that next level where things can kind of build even more momentum.
0: Well, I wish you all the best buddy.
1: Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it, man.
0: All right. Thank you so much to Isaac for doing the podcast again. Go and uh, support him via his Kickstarter. Links below. Go to Isaac's website. Also, if you're interested in that uh, mandolin retreat that sounds incredible, check that out at his website as well. All right. And now, as promised at the beginning of the podcast, Michael Pruitt's got a brand new album coming out. The first single drops next week, but he gave me an advanced sneak peek to share with mandolins and beer listeners. So this is Nine Miles Out of Louisville by Michael Pruitt. Cheers, everybody.